0: Hello, hello, hello. Welcome and thank you for joining us. This is As An Artist, a local famous records podcast about local artists, their art, creative process, and the local scene. My name is Anthony Sosa, and thank you so much for joining us. I'm super, super excited to introduce you guys to my guest this episode. Uh, We've got my longtime friend, comrade, compatriot, collaborator, and oftentimes mentor, Eric Stolpe. Eric and I met in 2003 before I joined his band, Briefly Playing Guitar, his band Silverload. And before Eric and I and Daniel and Chris and Brandon Bond founded the Raven Charter in 2005. Eric is an amazing musician who's very thoughtful about his creative process and how music has impacted his life. We have a fantastic discussion. We get really, really deep. Eric was was very open uh, with us, which I'm very, very appreciative and grateful for. We had a a, a great conversation. Um, We discuss Eric's musical upbringing, his influences, as well as our time together in Raven Charter. We get into his sobriety and how that has impacted his life as well as his art. And we talk about his current musical endeavors, uh, including his solo project, Brain in a Jar. I really, 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 really enjoyed this conversation and I hope that you do too. And please stick around at the end of the podcast. We're actually going to have two songs at the end of this one. Uh, The first track that you're going to hear is going to be A Herd Mentality by Eric's solo project, Brain in a Jar. And after that, we're going to have an old Raven Charter track that Eric wrote called uh, We Know You Will. Actually, just a little fun fact that before we titled it that, uh, before the lyrics were written, we called this song Eric Kendo because it reminded us of Reign of Kendo and Eric, this was his presentation to the band. And So so please enjoy this conversation and please stick around and enjoy the the music at the end. Cheers. (laughs) So I, I appreciate you taking the time to kind of sit down and have this conversation. I'm glad we get to do this.
1: Yeah. I feel like this could go a couple different, like, I feel like we're either going to talk for like three hours or (laughs) we're going to get like into it real quickly. And I'm going to be like, I don't know what to say, but we'll see.
0: Excuse me. Yeah. I, I, I was thinking the same thing It's like, we could go for a while, which I'm, you know, as however much time you've got, I've got, I'm down for however, you know, whenever it Whenever we're done, we're done. <laughs> right. Um, I, you know, I, I just kind of got a list of things. I kind of always try to like make a, a list of different topics to hit and stuff. And so obviously kind of like how I told you before we met up, uh, gen in general about, you know, a little bit about your past and like influences, musical influences, uh, like your creative process. And then we can kind of get into like Raven charter stuff and then like post Raven charter school of rock, like kind of like, you know, into Brain in a jar into moving and that sort of stuff. Sobriety as well. Like if you want to talk about that, um, does that, yeah. sound, does that sound cool? Sure. Sweet. So. so, uh, I mean like it's, this is interesting because I've, I've known you for a really long time. Obviously we've been playing music together since 2003. Um, But I, for the, for the listener, you know, I'd like to go back to kind of before you got to DFW, um, where were you, whereabouts were you like in the U S and then like, what was your family like? And how did your family's, um, I guess, how did they bring music to you or how did you discover music like in that setting?
1: Okay. So I, uh, so I was born in New Jersey, um, and, uh. My dad is. My dad was a was a a pastor. Um, he's been retired for a minute, but I feel like anybody who's known him for a while probably still considers him a pastor. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so obviously, I grew up with, uh, in in church. A lot of church stuff going on. Church music's a pretty big part of kind of my experience with music, grow especially growing up. Um, I uh, think like so yeah obviously like like you know being in the building church services youth choirs all of that stuff mm-hmm. is one part of the equation and then kind of around the house um i i would say like what my parents were listening to i mean my mom my mom was pretty into like John Denver my dad has always been pretty into Simon and Garfunkel So those were probably, from parents, those were probably kind of two of the things that I heard the most growing up. Um, I have two older brothers, um, and they're 11 and 13 years older than me. Um, So I also grew up hearing their music quite a bit. Um, My oldest brother played saxophone when he was in middle and high school a lot of what i a lot of what i heard from him initially was maybe the stuff that he was working on for school band um this was also you know i was born in 85 so like late 80s early 90s um you know he i'm sure he probably wouldn't like me to say this but like like he was kind of like on the tail end of sort of like the yuppie culture i would say um and so like there was a lot of kind of like um that that kind of like super produced late 80s kind of stuff maybe like some of it christian pop some of it just like kind of more you know standard smooth jazzy kind of stuff but so i heard that going on a lot but the brother that in the middle the one that that's also up here in milwaukee um i would say probably carried a little bit more long term into what i got into and i re- I remember yes being on like all the time in uh in his room, yes, but wow. also like he he kind of has has a streak with like kind of the more folksy indie stuff, you know, some some of the left of the dial stuff that maybe in the in the late eighties and early nineties was also pretty common. Um, he like his taste is pretty eclectic, which I think you know, um, you know, being thirteen or sorry eleven years younger than him, like I definitely have other tastes, but I think that a lot of that eclectic. Thing kind of carried over into into what I got into. So that's
0: awesome. Did they play any instruments, or was it just kind of like listening?
1: Um, they both played. I mean, David, who's the middle one that that's up here in Milwaukee, um, he, um, like he probably has as much or more musical stuff as, as I do, or than I do up here, guitars and all of that stuff he so he's uh i don't know if we've talked about this before or not but he's also a high school history teacher oh, awesome. and he he runs an after-school music club or um i don't know how much they're doing these days but like he had, like the so it's a project based burning high school okay. and um they're kind of in a building that's bigger than their student population needs so he like besides his normal classroom he pretty much has like a studio set up there at, awesome. at school so um it's pretty sweet but he like he is definitely um he kind of views his role as like okay if i can bring music to like if i can bring music to kids and and um you know enrich their lives if i can get a guitar in their hands then then that's what I want to do. He, he doesn't consider himself as much of a player, although like we have definitely done plenty of musical things together,
0: but that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. I could definitely relate to that. That's so cool. So did, did he, did either of your brothers or your parents kind of give you lessons? Your mom sang, right? Was she in the choir? Um, or did I,
1: so my dad's pretty much tone deaf. Um, <laughs> uh, he does, appreciate music he played drums when he was younger um or percussion anyway i don't know that he would ever have said that he was strong behind a a kit but um and my mom like she sang really well and she played piano by ear but kind of the nature of her upbringing i don't think she really ever had any like long-term music education of any sort and has always kind of been, especially as she's gotten older, has always been real self-conscious. And I think now, like, so she, so for the listener, I, I think, I think, you know, Anthony knows this, but like my mom has Alzheimer's and, um, I think especially as like, she's kind of gotten further into that, like, she's kind of gotten like any, any, musical kind of natural abilities she has have either gone by the wayside or she's become pretty self-conscious about mm. you know putting those
0: out there in any way that's unfortunate i hate to hear that because it could be you know it can be something that could be helpful you know coping wise but that our brains are weird right so that's yeah I'm, yeah
1: Damn. Yeah, my brain is weird. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm like real all over the place this, no. this morning. I don't think I'm quite awake yet.
0: But. No, it's perfectly fine. I appreciate you, appreciate you being honest about that. Um, so okay, so transit. What was your first? Where did you start on violin? What was your first
1: instrument? No, no, violin actually came like relative to other stuff. Kind of came later. Okay,
2: what,
0: what was um, the order like? When did? You, how old were you when you picked up your first thing? And then like, what did that yeah. trajectory look like?
1: So, so going back to being in involved in church stuff, like, I, I mean, I was always in like the youth and children's choir, like probably going back to when I was like five or six. Um, and we had a piano in our basement and, um, I mean, I don't, I don't know at what age this happened. Like I definitely started picking stuff up by ear, um, you know, you know, single note diatonic melody, See you know C major kind of kind of stuff nothing super fancy but um, and I all I also like going back to it I I always had like musical toys too like things that you know that like Fisher Price recorder set thing yeah <laughs> um, was was a common thing I I my oldest brother especially I think I irritated the crap out of him but that also probably my obsession with that toy probably also was mirroring, mirroring the fact that he was a sax player and wanting to be like <laughs> him and emulate him. Yeah. So I think there was some of that, but anyway, like I, I would say like where the damn kind of broke, um, was, are you, are you hearing radio?
0: No, I'm hearing my dogs bark okay. in the background. I'm sorry if that's okay.
1: I feel like I'm getting something, and I know I was when I was getting set up. So um anyway. Um so when I when I was in middle school would have been the time that my brothers were in college. And um my middle brother when he, I think this was when he was home from college in a summer at some point. I'm,
0: is this still in Jersey?
1: This is still in New Jersey. This would have been. Um, oh, I actually this was before middle school. This would have been like third grade, I think, actually. Um, but um, so David was David was helping out as a leader in the youth group, and one of the. Uh, one of the kids who was in that youth group was involved in a car wreck on the way home from uh, from one of their events, and ended up ended up passing away. And um, you know, this wasn't someone that I knew particularly well, but like being that my brother was involved, um, being this was at my dad's church, and my dad was was one of the one of the pastors there. Um, I did end up going to the funeral, and um, the youth choir from her, ch- the youth, sorry, the choir from her school um, ended up singing, singing um, Castle on a Cloud from Les Mis at her funeral, and that, like, something about that moment just, like, sparked it all for me, Wow, pretty much. Um, like, I had heard some of that music my parents had the uh, um you know like the cast recording from like I think it was I think it was maybe the London I, I don't know the like the first like real popular cast recording from Les Mis. I think I think it was the London cast from like the mid the late 80s. But um so I I had been like kind of familiar with some of that music. But something about that moment like definitely kind of sparked it, and I went home um you know, I might be um, you know there I might be dramatizing this to a certain extent, but my my recollection is pretty much like I went home and like wore that tape out and taught myself how to play that song on wow, on the piano, um, and you know, even like figured out some sort of, like, rudimentary, like, two-handed, like, you know, something where I was actually even, like, harmonizing myself pretty much. Um, and so that that was the moment for me, I think, that sparked it. And that, that for, you know, by my recollection anyway, was the moment where my parents were like, okay, so let's get him into lessons, which I, like, initially I pretty much just did piano lessons for, like, a year, I think. Um, and then... Once middle school came around, joined the, joined the concert band and started playing clarinet. Um, and then guitar was like, so, so by the time I was, um, by the time I was in, I, this would have been between seventh and eighth grade. We lived in Milwaukee by this point. And, um, we were visiting my oldest brother out, like just outside of Philadelphia. Um, and he and his wife had guitars like they, they both have them probably know their cowboy chords and stuff like that. But, um, I don't think either of them have necessarily ever pursued it too much, but there were guitars sitting around. We were there for a week. Um, I think this was probably not too long after my niece was born. So like, there was a lot of like downtime and a lot of like, well, we're visiting them for a week. What else am I going to do? Yeah. So I pulled out a guitar and, and, you know, chord books and stuff and start just started teaching myself guitar. And, um, I mean, I don't know if I, I probably wasn't doing bar chords by the end of that week, but like, um, you know, I was definitely like reading through chord sheets and stuff,
0: and, That's awesome.
2: you know,
1: pl- like playing, playing folk and, praise and worship songs and stuff out of their binders by the end of that there's nothing
0: quite like a a musical instrument to get you through like long stints with family over the holidays or something i remember that once i was playing same thing it was like okay i've got this thing i can do this for the next four or five hours while there's nothing else to do what was it about like lay miz? so that's interesting to me You've got you've got this array of instruments that you you play and have played over the years and have been exposed to, but it was like this certain piece of music, and then it was like you came home and then like on the piano is the one that you fleshed it out on. What like my perspective of knowing you as a musician that has always been because you were our keys player, obviously writing music on all sorts of different instruments. Um, that seemed to be t- like what like your brain expressed ideas really well on the keys. What was it like, I don't know, being at that that's, young age that's
1: interesting because I've always felt like even though I probably have a better technical um, you know like like education experience on on keys, I've always felt like guitar has been easier for me to express, interesting. Kind of my ideas on but i can but... see
0: that i can see it because you've th- there's definitely been over the years like you tend to work and write on the on the guitar and we would push you in Raymond to like do more more focus on keys or whatever but i remember you being apprehensive about that you know at certain times way back in the day um but no dude you're what regardless of whatever instrument i i i think uh you've got a lot of fantastic musical ideas knocking around in, the, in that head of yours that have you know consistently been coming out and been awesome and been making you know the music that we've written and shared like together like better um and so it's interesting to me that like all of that goes back to like this piece. like i'm not familiar with the specific piece that you're talking about but i'm familiar with you know the 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 musicals as a whole and like a lot of that stuff is intense complex dramatic like is yes yes
1: <laughs> and that that i think uh i don't think i can state enough like i mean not just that but you know a lot of a lot of music from lame is um that like i mean the early 90s disney soundtracks to be yeah. honest i mean Open oh, beauty and the beast lion king like they had like serious rock stars um you know, writing the songs and then, like, really great arrangers and composers doing all of the incidental music and stuff in there, too. Absolutely. Um, and, um, you know, Star Wars, Jurassic Park, John Williams, all of that stuff. I've always just... Um, I think, and this goes back way before Raven Charter, you know, before um, before stuff like Coheed was around, and I know Coheed, you know, there were bands doing narrative stuff long before coheed but that was certainly in terms of rock music like a pretty monumental one for me Mm -hmm. but um you know i've always been into that that stuff that like not necessarily has to have a narrative feel to it but something where um you know kind of the emotive element and kind of kind of being able to convey like either a plot device or an emotion has always kind of been a little more important to me than maybe like the structure of a song, I think. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that I don't know if that makes sense.
0: But no, absolutely I mean to me that music being art, and maybe we can use this to kind of talk about that for a moment, like in my personal opinion, what makes something good art is art that is able to like elicit an emotion from you. It's like, okay, I'm I'm making this thing because I feel something or whatever, right? And so this thing making somebody else feel something um means it's impactful or or it worked or the idea, I was able to get the idea across or whatever, right? And so like you saying, like, well, how the song or how the piece makes me feel versus like the structure of it, like I agree with that. Same. And like that's always been how I've like I've been I've been much more of a feely sort of person, even though it's very fun to get lost in the nuance of the structure and the order. And like, that can be a tool. Right, to Right, express I, don't, I don't
1: mean to say that like there, I think there's something to be said for like a well-crafted song that like, you know, I mean, I, I hate using the word formula cause that, cause that yeah. like makes it really sound, um, you know, cut and dry. And I think there are a lot of people like, I mean, I know I've talked to you about Ben Folds. Jason yes. Isbell is another one where, where like, those dudes just write good songs, and a lot of them, a lot of them follow pretty conventional forms, but like, those are some of the best songwriters out there. Period. Hundred you know? percent.
0: And like, I, I, I can point to you as like why Ben Folds. I'm a huge fan of Ben Folds, and like, I, I think a, 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 that whole musical experience or perspective that like, came from you. You were the first person that I never even knew who they were like and who he was, you know, <laughs> until you were kind of putting on that DVD back on like Oh five or something. The, the, I still, which one is it? The live at the, some New York sessions. I forget.
1: Yeah. What is it like to ses- if sessions at West
0: 54th or yeah. something,
1: it's something like that, but
0: that's such um, a good performance. It's so good. But it's like I don't, the cool thing so, about, sorry, go ahead.
1: That, sorry to get off on a tangent, no. but like, like I've only just now kind of like has been diving into Ben Folds enough to know that like he was already kind of doing the Nashville songwriter deal by the time Ben Folds Five like became a thing and did anything. Um, he was still pretty young at that yeah. point, but like, um you know, the songwriting thing has been where, you know, where he's hung his hat for a long time. Um, and Ben Folds 5, just like at that time in the in the mid to late 90s, um, became the vehicle for him to do the stuff that were going to be his own songs. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, okay, hold on. Let's just take a step back for a second. So I... I kind of threw out, hey, this is what I think good art is. What do you think? Like, we're talking about the, the you know, artists and influences that, that you, that appeal to you and that have, that have affected you. But like, what do you think makes it good? Or what about those artists, you know, there's others too, like that, that, that appeals to you? Like, what is it?
1: Man, I, I. I think there's a lot of different ways you can go about that um
0: well how do you go about it I mean, I the, <laughs> um
1: so the, so the question is like what makes art basically is that I, kinda... you can,
0: if you can you can interpret it like that if you want um Yeah. What, what, what makes art to you? Cause I mean, this is the whole thing I got on this podcast. I talked to all these people. Some of them say they're artists, some of them not. I didn't ask you that question. Do you think you're an artist? Sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, great. No, that's, that's a fantastic answer. Uh, What dictates the times that you do and don't like what it, what's the difference,
1: man? I, I mean, and I don't know, like we may, we may go down, we may go down this rabbit hole now or later in this conversation but you know like like um you know mental health um you know general focus whether or not you want to lump that in with with mental health or not like have been um pretty constant struggles for me, like at at least since high school, maybe, maybe, maybe my whole life. But, um, and I think, I think there's times where, uh, um, you know, I, I almost can't help but create. And then there's also like, there's been really, really extended long times where like, you know, I, I I feel like I'm kind of just hanging on um, creatively and just, you know, hopefully I'm working the muscle out somewhere, whether that's in performing or teaching or whatever. And, you know, when the time comes back around and I have something to say or something to get out, then hopefully whatever's happened in that, in that extended dry spell, ha- you know, still benefits what. I do create, you know, I think I one of the things that that I from like a personal identity standpoint as far as being creative that I struggle with is, you know, when I first started writing writing songs, which to me I identify as kind of like my eighth and ninth grade year, like after I had played started playing guitar. Um, you know, I probably I probably wrote 80 or 100 songs in that like year, two years, you know wow (laughs) and and then um i mean i think i think in in like raven charter i i'm sure i contributed to more than this but i but like in the however many years since then 20 25 years since then um i've probably written like 15. I don't know, something like that, you know. I mean, I've contributed to far more than that for sure, but like 15 or 20 like songs from start to finish that in that time, you know.
0: So okay, let's let's I want to jump onto that and maybe we can use this to transition into into collaborating with Raven Charter, but like what is coll- to what I'm hearing from you saying that is maybe it's easier to collaborate and work on a piece with other people rather than, like, well, completing it on your own.
1: That's something else that I, 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 I think, I don't take advantage of that enough. I don't, you know,
2: what um,
1: you like, the co- the fact that, that, like, collaboration usually is, you know, a a better option or a great option, you know?
2: Yeah.
1: Um, I,
0: There's this John Green quote that I love. Collaboration is how we make meaning together. Um, And so like in regards to what does the art mean to us or is it even art? um, I think when we're, when we are sharing that experience with somebody, um, I don't know, maybe it's easier, easier to see that or to to develop what it is that we're doing when there's somebody else there, when it's not just us. Like, I don't know. I know you and I both have this experience of like, now we're working on solo projects and that's very different <laughs> than uh than than what we, you know, what we knew in our time together at Raven Charter for 11 years. So let's talk about that. Let's go we've been kind of beating around the bush. Um yeah. So, but, you know, I want to be fair to Silverload. I want to give you the space to talk about Silverload in high school and like how you met Daniel and Chris and Brandon and then like transitioning into college and then I want to I want to just spend a moment sharing my perspective of meeting you guys like in that space.
1: Yeah, so, so, um, okay, so I moved from New Jersey to Milwaukee between sixth and seventh grade. And, uh, as I said before, started playing guitar in that period. Also played violin for a year, uh, a year or so during that period, too, maybe two years. Um, and then eventually my dad's job took him down to Dallas. And, um, I'd been a public school kid at like up until this whole point, um, but kind of the nature of the job that my dad was taking, and um, maybe the the education system point in time, or the education system in Dallas, because we were going to be living in inside Dallas city limits. Um, basically, the the church that my dad was at in Texas was like we're going to find a way to get um to get Eric into a private into a private school down here um and so um you know directed me directed us to some places I applied and um I'm sure there was financial help in there too but um so i uh, ended up going to Jesuit which is where I met Chris and Daniel um and um so Daniel of course being the lead guitarist and um also also sang quite a bit of lead stuff for for the Raven Charter and Chris being our original drummer but at the time that I met them Chris was playing guitar um and um we so we had like separate um you know we called them lounges I don't know whatever you want to call them for each, for each grade level, Hmm. um, where we would go to hang out during free periods, work on study stuff, just kind of kill free time, whatever, whatever it was. And so it was pretty common that like somebody would have a guitar. Um, maybe a couple people would have a guitar. So, um, it didn't take, it didn't take long for us to kind of get hooked up and start realizing that, you know, we wanted to play music. We didn't really start putting stuff together until, um you know probably probably later in sophomore year maybe sometime in junior year um was when was when stuff started kind of working out there and i don't think um chris was in the very first iteration of what we did but it didn't take long before like we kind of realized you know who at that time was serious about playing music and getting you know and that kind of stuff and who um you know who maybe was just like down to say yes um because we asked them <laughs> that kind of thing yeah. you know um and eventually um we kind of landed on this lineup um where with Chris on guitar and Daniel on on guitar and I was usually playing bass i mean we we it was still kind of fluid at this point like sometimes i played guitar Um, our buddy Billy was also in there. So a lot of times like Billy and I would switch between guitar and bass. Mm. Um, Daniel sang most of the lead stuff. I sang some of it. Um, and then we had another drummer, but eventually, um, his priorities shifted. He also kind of wasn't maybe like, I think I, we were just kind of in different worlds as far as like, I like ideology and worldview and stuff. And so eventually, um, he kind of, he kind of went his separate way and, um, you know, I think his, his drum kit had been set up at that, at whoever's house we were rehearsing at, at that point. And, um, uh, you know, there was, there was a time when he wasn't there and Chris sat behind the kit. I'm, I'm sure it wasn't the first time Chris sat behind a kit, but like, um, I do remember, you know, there was kind of this moment of like, oh, this is pretty natural for you and you're pretty <laughs> awesome at it. Chris, like, Chris, I know he hasn't kept guitar up a whole lot, but like, um, he has always been, and I know you know this of him as a drummer, but he was also the same way on guitar where like, he could kind of just hear something and figure it out. And like, even without like a very heavy knowledge of music theory, like just had a good his ear. ear could get him to where he needed, like yep. on a lot of stuff.
0: I remember um, him playing, messing around. I forget what Stone Temple Pilot song it was, but he, you know. 15 years ago he just picked up a guitar and started noodling around and i was like oh wow like you, you, you still yeah,
1: chris chris has an amazing ear which i think like like we've talked about it at various points i think it became less of a focus once garrett joined but like our harmony game in the in the raven oh, yeah. charter was huge and like um you know when chris was in the band like it, a lot of that, a lot of the harmonies, like it's, we kind
0: of didn't even have to think about no, it, you know, did him. he just did the, the, the major third or the minor third or whatever. Were y'all in like right. choir? Did y'all do choir and Jesuit? Was that part of, like, I never even thought to no, ask you guys that. Uh, no, no.
1: And I don't, I don't know what Chris's past with that would have been in terms of any like, uh, like church or elementary or middle school or anything. But, um, yeah. I did though quite a bit, like, like choir, church and school choirs are mm. a pretty big part of makes sense you know what i've done in the past
0: but so okay uh so silver loads y'all are writing like i i I'm, I'm excited to put that stuff out again like put this because i remember listening to y'all's ep album like kind of right at that time when we were transitioning uh and they had a lot of really cool stuff that you guys had written what were your influences? Like, I can remember, I think I can say for you, there was a little vertical horizons in there, but like what else was going on? And like, you know?
1: Yeah. So like my, um, so the group that I ran around when I originally lived up here in Milwaukee was kind of floating in between the, like pop punk and like, that mid late 90s alternative pop kind of stuff yeah. um so i um a lot of the first stuff i learned on guitar was would have been like um blink 182 that kind of stuff but like but i never really got that far into that i usually was kind of learning that that side of stuff because I wanted to be able to play with the other guys, but it's not, I, I wasn't necessarily, and be like, you know, being a good preacher's kid, um, you know, listening to Blink 182 was probably not something I was trying to do a whole lot. Um, also, this is, you know, pre Spotify, pre Napster, even. So, yeah. like, my access to music was not necessarily super great. Um, but, um, but then, yeah, like there was also this side of like this alternative pop stuff. I got I went way down the rabbit hole on Goo Goo Dolls and on Go-go-dolls. Vertical Horizon. That's right. Yeah. And, um, you know, kind of started realized. So like Vertical Horizon has kind of like one or two songs that did well on pop or pop and rock radio at the time. Um, But if if you kind of dig into their history like they've always kind of had a past of like having very very skilled musicians and writers or like in the band or or around the band um and there's a live album that they put out before before everything you want kind of the album that actually had success for them that is um i mean it's it's a fantastic live album you know um it's, it's kind of jam bandy almost, um, lot lots of great solos, lots of great grooves, really, really tight. Um, and so I, I feel like that kind of spoke to me quite a bit. And then Goo, Goo dolls, like kind of going back to like, you know, how, the emotional impact of things and that, you know, whatever yeah. you want to say, whatever you want to say about things, uh, you know, about, you know, kind of how well that music has aged or anything like that. Like, um, there was like really big intent put into, you know, orchestration and, you know, conveying the emotion behind the songs and stuff, especially on kind of, you know, dizzy up the girl. And I think it was, was it a boy named goo. Like the one, the one before that, that had a uh, name on it. Um, I might be wrong on the on that album name but
0: um it's true you know, I I missed that the how impact like I don't know how uh prevalent strings were in like rock music during that time period right right like know?
1: like like the 90s aerosmith stuff yes. um you know
0: very evocative um,
1: um so yeah like that that stuff played in played in pretty heavily I didn't I didn't really start getting into much heavier music until, until like being down in Texas. And I would say like, really didn't get heavy, like into the super heavy side of things until, until
0: college, till Raven Charter days. Yeah. Same. Like that definitely changed my own personal music trajectory. Getting to know you guys growing up in Burleson. Uh, you know, we just had the radio. That's all I was exposed to. Some, some like local punk music, but that was like that was it. It was just you know, Chili Peppers, Sublime, you know, Alice in Chains, Bush, you know, just like just whatever the Edge or the Eagle was playing. <laughs> and so when I got to college, and and I met you, and I met Brandon Bailey and Bond and Daniel, <clears throat> I was getting exposed to all this other music, often typically heavier music too. So like so- yeah, go ahead.
1: So, like, weird thing, and it, it, this is a little bit tangential, but I don't think I'll go too far, but, like, um, Bad Hair Day, the Weird Al album, <laughs> came out, I think, I think when we were in, like, maybe third or fourth grade. Something, something like I think, something I think like it was that. sixth
0: grade. 96. Was it
1: that late? Yeah. I, th- I could have sworn I was in in elementary school, but. It might have been
0: 95. Um, might have been the Christmas but before like, 96. I don't know.
1: Like, if i go back to that like i realized that my first exposure to a lot of those songs and a lot of those bands that yes. that were either that were either parodied or or in or in the alternative polka yes were like that was actually like i didn't hear green day's basket case first i heard alternative polka first um yeah, and I think there's a few other things same. on that on on that album that are the same. Where like I, um,
0: that was the first exposure. strangely
1: enough that was like my gateway into some of the stuff that was a little bit heavier or was a little bit more in the mainstream.
0: Absolutely, lump came on my Spotify mix just like yeah, out of it, lump is
1: another one.
0: And I was like, I think I've heard Gump more than I've heard Lump. Like that was definitely the first time that I you know was the Weird out version. That's funny that you say that. Yes, yes, that's so true. So like, okay, so get to UNT, Daniel, it's like gung-ho, I met him at orientation, we like exchanged numbers, that's a whole other story, I'll just get into it another time, Um, and so then, like, freshman year starts, it's like August, September 2003, and I text him or something, and I'm like, hey, let's, you know, I'm that guy that jammed with you over orientation like what's going on and he was like you guys are playing a show at at mothers um oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) and on fry street and so i went with him like he introduced me to like you and chris and i went with you guys to put flyers up for the show and i was still i still had chord 603 my band from high school and i was like trying to get us a show i think actually the last show i got us was actually at mothers like the following week or a couple weeks later or something like that but I was like hanging out with you guys, uh, and had he like showed me, you know, some of y'all's demos or some of y'all's music in the car and stuff. I was like, this is awesome, um, and like I just thought y'all were hot shit. Like I just thought y'all were so cool, and your show uh, was great. Y'all did some video game covers, like did like a Legend of Zelda cover or something. It was an acoustic show, um, but I was I was like, that's so awesome. like it was just one of those things where I was like, okay, this is very different than like the groups of people that I was playing with. And then like, I had my own, you know, roommate, Brandon Bailey, who we were trying to start our own thing, Solus Prime, uh, and like got Daniel wrapped up into that. And so like, which was very, coming from a very different place. That was coming very much from like Glassjaw and like Thrice and like a little bit heavier stuff. Um, But we all became friends. We all hung out all the time and eventually moved in together like the following year. You know, not all like you and Chris moved in together at Jefferson Commons. And then like me and Daniel and Brandon moved in together at the Brighton House house. And this is in like, you know, spring, summer oh four. four. What was that for you? Like, what was that transition like from, you know, Silver Load and then like losing Brendan as a guitar? And then like I started playing guitar for you guys and played a couple of shows with you guys before Silver Load, you know, became Raven charter. What was that like for you as being, being a part of it the whole time?
1: Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, in in retrospect, I feel like, I feel like I knew the, the writing was on the wall as far as silver load goes, but like, I don't know. I can't say 100% sure contemporaneously how much I thought, but like, you know, our last few silver load shows, like we were playing, we were like throwing in instrumental originals because that's kind of what we had to do. And the, and like, you know, two of those became the sacrifice and the kidnapping, you know, um, like some of our early Raven charter stuff, but I don't think we ever had silver load lyrics for either of those. I had lyrics for what became the sacrifice, but I don't think they were ever like fully fleshed out and, and, um, you know, yeah. Translated and performed for For Silverload but Um and I mean kind of the same thing that was going On with uh with With our original Drummer for Silverload before Chris switched over to drums like You know I didn't we were, we were starting to have ideological differences with, with Brendan. I don't think that was the main thing going on. It was just, our lives started moving apart. You know, um, he was doing other things. We were all, by this point, I don't know, you know, Daniel and I and Chris, like we all kind of ended up like (laughs) inner, like, trading places between denton and dallas and i don't remember the specific sequence of that so it's not we weren't necessarily all in denton at the same time initially um but we were pretty much based in denton um by this point but brendan was living in like roulette or rockwall or something and oh, wow. you know it w- we were just moving in totally different directions yeah. at that point and and um um you know if of course like there also was kind of some rocky stuff going on you know inner band wise and what was going on with solace prime and, and like it was all you know like the core was there but like we, we all became it became evident that like neither situation was living up to its full potential yeah. you know That's and and we needed to do something about that and and you know I don't from my recollection i don't think i was involved in the very original conversation about like oh we should combine bands but like daniel i think daniel called me like pretty much immediately after that conversation is my impression anyway of what happened yeah and and you know of course i was playing bass in silverload um but you guys all knew i played keys um yeah. and you know as as we kind of fleshed out that conversation i was like Well, like we all know, we want to play music together. Sosa's a bass player. Like I don't think there's any doubt Sosa needs to be the bass player for what we continue doing. Um, and where that leaves me is, uh, you know, a lot of these songs need or would benefit from keyboard. Yeah. Um, I'm the most qualified person to do that. Um some of this stuff might do well with an acoustic guitar. So maybe we can bring that in somewhere too, but like, you know, um, and then, and then we were off and we did the solace prime farewell show with, uh, with an encore of uh the newly the newly minted Raven Charter playing Planet Phoenix, as I recall.
0: Man, that was that um, was so epic. It,
1: it was Planet Phoenix, right? It or was. was it or was it through Captain's Eyes? It
0: was Planet Phoenix. Yeah. And like just to backtrack just a little bit, because that like that in retrospect, it seems like oh, okay, it was just another show, like now 20 years later, 18 years later. But at the time, like for me anyways, that was like, a that was incredibly, incredibly significant. Like, cause playing guitar with Silverload was the only time that I ever played guitar in a band. Um, and so those, and those shows were kind of bigger shows compared to what I was used to. Like, I remember we played at TCJ, TC, NCTC <laughs> over there in Corinth, like outside of the yeah, campus. Yeah. Um, for like a college event. So there was just, there was a bunch of people there. And then, we played at the Hard Rock Cafe before that place closed down in Dallas.
1: Right, we, and that was both that was both Silverload and uh, and Solace Prime. No, Solace and, Prime
0: was not at Hard Rock. That was just a Silverload thing, and it was Glenn's band. Brandon was there. I think he just came because he was just I hanging out. I could have sworn
1: something. you guys played, but I, I guess okay.
0: It was Glenn's band. I think Mesh. I mean, it was, um,
1: yeah, they might have been called Orchard by that point, but okay, but yeah. yeah.
0: So that, like that, and those, that was a, you know, I was like, oh, I get to play Hard Rock. That was really cool. And I still got, you know, pictures from that show and stuff, but then on five, wasn't it on five sixteen I think like ours, like maybe it was May 1st or something, but it was like May, um, 2005, we had the last solace prime show. And then you like Brandon Bailey got off the drum kit and Chris sat down behind it. And then like, you came up there and played Brandon's keys and we played you know we, we became the raven charter and played a seven minute song or whatever and right. uh, and that was like at tj's too which was our favorite venue god we could just talk about texas jive for like i don't know a little bit that place do you remember that place <laughs>
1: like, I, I sure do i mean i mean tj's or texas texas jive was a pizza and wing place in Denton, but they had. I mean, it, it for all practical purposes, it was an enclosed patio, but it was fully, fully enclosed. Yeah, um with a stage on it, and um, right on Fry
0: Street next to I Cool mean, Beans.
1: I mean, if you're not if you're not familiar with Denton, particularly Denton during that time, like. It was its own thing, really. Yeah.
0: Um, you know. Uh, had karaoke. Uh, they, they had some that And back then in like, oh, three, oh, four, oh, five shows were still mixed bills. Like, I remember we would go to TJ's and we would see like Sam Damask and like a jazz trio band like opening up. And then it would be like a folk band playing in the middle or like Liquid Bounce would be doing hip hop like second or something. But- and then totally. a metal band would be closing it out and people came and it was awesome. And I felt like things, the scene changed a little bit. I felt like where we, it was more like, Oh, you had to group all the metal bands together, all the funk bands together or whatever, you know, kind of into the later aughts. But I remember when we got there, right. that wasn't, that wasn't the case. I don't know, man. So let's for a minute, I'm now, I I'm, I'm just getting lost in my own nostalgia. I apologize. Talk about Denton for a minute, like just that time period of like while we were down there at UNT 03 to oh seven, oh eight, and you going to UNT at the same time. Like, what was what was all that like?
1: Man, so. <sighs> Mostly Denton was a really great place to be. Um you know i i think in a lot of ways like especially the way that we started like the first kind of half two thirds whatever of mm-hmm. of raven charter i don't think um i don't think we could have started that band anywhere but denton mm-hmm. if that makes sense cuz we you know we definitely skewed into that like you know we we didn't hide the fact that we were Dig into like kind of coheed mars volta we were trying to trying to do that like semi-psychedelic but like like you know metal hard rock but with a narrative slant you know kind of conceptual um and at that point in time um you know i don't i, I don't think i knew the fort worth scene quite as well but like you know dallas at that point but My perspective has always been that, like, Dallas was already kind of on a decline, and then once Hurricane Katrina came and kind of, like, impacted the entire, like, social landscape of of the city due to, you know, due to migration and and stuff, um, I think, you know, we've seen Deep Elm go up and down several times, but I think that was kind of the... That was kind of the first and probably most major dip, I think, for Deep Ellum. Yeah. And, you know, we had done plenty of Silverload stuff down there in high school and, you know, kind of coming right out of high school. But in 04, 05, Deep Ellum for all practical purposes really did die for a couple of years before we <laughs> were mean, able to do yeah. anything there.
0: Trees even closed uh, for a couple of years. Yeah. Tree
1: trees closed. Um, I'm pretty sure club Clearview closed during that, during that period. Mm-hmm. Galaxy club closed during that period. I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure. Um, you know, the, yeah. the door, you know, yeah. kind of struggled and they, they hung on for a while, but, um, uh, profit, which what was it called back then gypsy
0: room gypsy tea room Um, yeah
1: yeah you know all of that stuff all of these things that were like really really big heavy hitters throughout the 90s and um you know 2001 kind of you know um became a big thing and 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 maybe it wasn't all katrina i think you know we're also talking about the post 9-11 world there where i think just like generally like like there was, you know, kind of similar to what happened with COVID. Um, you know, there's there was just kind of a hesitancy to like do anything, and yeah. kind of a general social frozenness that happened for a year or two there,
0: and the '08 so. crash as well. You know, that same sort of thing—people just not having money to kind of go out. It was like a re- it was like kind of a reset of a lot right, of stuff right. during that right of that so late in, aughts.
1: You know, in in Denton, you've got what is like purely, at least for our age group at that time it's a college town no matter what happens Mm -hmm. people are going to be going out looking to have fun looking to uh you know grab some drinks um you know denton like Mm -hmm. nightlife in denton pretty much started at like 10 30 or 11 p.m and it wasn't uncommon i mean we we threw after parties all the time all the time um (laughs) where where I mean, we were not, not just a handful of people, but we were like up and bumping at four or five in the morning a lot of times. Um, and
0: I mean, it was part um, of, I felt like it was part of our marketability. Like we're going to have a show, people are going to come and we're going to go party. So
1: absolutely. And I mean, I think we were doing this before we uh, were working with room 36 with, uh, Mm -hmm. with Mike and beef, but like that became that, especially in that period Mm -hmm. became a big thing that like. Right. Like we're going to throw an awesome show, but it's not going to stop there. Yeah. So.
0: And that um, worked, that worked for our same, but early twenties, like at that time period, it was, It I think it was one of the reasons we did, did as well as we did at that time.
1: Right. Right. And, and I mean, fortunately we always seem to be, I, and you know, property values and rent prices being what they were in Denton. Mm. Like, like, I mean, it's only 40 minutes outside of Dallas, but that's, you know, that's enough that like college kids could afford some pretty nice places that were like, you know, big, big houses that did not necessarily have like cops rolling by all the time or anything. So we were able to get away with like some pretty, you know, with some pretty like heavy parties, um,
0: <laughs> yep. So, so okay, let's 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 uh use this as a springboard to kind of transition into okay, that lifestyle, um, and how that lifestyle isn't maybe the most conducive to continuing to create art.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know,
1: yeah. And, I, I mean, I don't know how. <laughs>
0: It's tough because, like we we I, all it, struggle. It's tough,
1: and I I don't know if I know exactly how to draw all of those lines together. But like, I, <laughs> it is an important part of my story that, like, you know, we party we partied hard in college, and you know, it, and and a little bit beyond. And um, I never, um, you know, I never fully uh, learned how to turn that off. And, um, uh, and, um, I used that, uh, to, to cover a lot of things and to, you know, ignore a lot of things that I was insecure about, um, or to give me courage to do things that I, under other circumstances would have been too insecure to deal with. But like, um, it, you know, that, that caught up to me. And, and I mean, it continued to, it continued to catch up to me until, you know, I was like 30, 31. Um, and, um, yeah. So, I I mean, I'm sure that that, that also plays into, you know, going back to saying, I feel like I, you know, um, my creative output maybe is not what I would like it to be. And that, and sometimes I struggle with whether or not, you know, am I an artist on this day or, or, or not on another day or whatever. Um, and you know, that's a part of that equation in that story.
0: I wish, I wish we would have had the vocabulary or the language to like, talk about those things back then. Um, I, I mean, speaking to the listener and hopefully maybe to younger listeners, um, coming up doing this now like i feel like it, we're maybe society in some ways in a healthier place where it's just more acceptable to talk about your feelings in that way um i hope because like i didn't know and i think i could speak for probably most of us like how to be supportive for you back then um uh, and not just you but like other friends of ours who've also had to get sober as well um and, yeah you know and it's uh almost 40 now it's kind of I feel like I've learned a lot, especially being married to someone who's also sober and having to like learn that experience, you know, firsthand in a relationship with her. Um, but I think it's I think it's an important conversation to have because it is still very much a part of the lifestyle and like really coming down to like the spaces where we can create this art. Like this is something that I'm just personally very passionate about, at least in like, one of the things we took, I think for granted in Denton where the amount of house parties And the amount of like places that we were able to play shows that weren't traditional venues where there wasn't, um, you know, a financial incentive or a financial barrier. Rather, you got to pay a cover to come in. But then also like you have to buy drinks here. Like that's kind of the uh, assumption. And so like in Fort Worth, I mean, we're going through our own changes, venues closing and all that sort of stuff. But like people play shows at bars and that's kind of it. Like you can't can't go somewhere else to see a band. And like, that is a problem, especially as we're all getting older and a lot of people are getting sober and like, oh, can I even participate in this art form or create this thing anymore if if there's nowhere for me to do it? And for young people who aren't even old enough to drink, where the hell are you going to, you know, it's back to essentially back to house parties again. Um, And so that's something that I think is important for, you know, for any community is like to have those places where you're able to create and share those experiences yeah and
1: you know i i know this isn't exactly the line you were probably going for but like in terms of narrative for for this interview but like um and i don't know how much i've talked to you about what what exactly is going on up here in milwaukee but um you know uh i think you know and for the listener like i like i live in essentially a three generation house right now my my Um, my parents occupied the first floor of this, uh, you know, we're in, we're in a duplex. Duplexes are very, very common here in Milwaukee, but, um, my parents were on the first floor. My mom has since moved into residential memory care. Um, and, uh, my brother and his wife and their two kids are on the second floor. Um, I've been living in the loft, um, but am, uh, kind of in the process. Well, I say in the process, I've been, I I moved my bed down to the first floor in the room next to my dad's bedroom, um, a week or so ago. And I'm kind of in the process of moving the rest of my life down there. But, um, my brother going back to him, you know trying to be a supporter of music maybe as much or more than like an actual musician himself. Um, one of the things that they've done um certainly since living here they might have even started doing this in the house before they moved into this one but um they they do uh, they do backyard concerts um you know during the summer. Um, when, when the weather permits up here and we've even done some inside in the, you know, in the living room on one of the floors or even up here in the loft. But, um, and, uh, this summer, man, if we haven't talked about this, so so I'm sorry, but, uh, we, so we ran, we ran, uh, like a full on block party, um, set like seven band folk festival, uh, over the summer um my my nephew uh who's uh 21 works for an av production company um they tend to do more corporate stuff but like they obviously supply you know they outfit quite a bit for audio video lighting all of that stuff and and um uh his his AV company sponsored this and so we were able to put out like a pretty decent PA live stream the whole thing wow all of the, all of that over the summer and our plan is to make that an annual thing we're kind of tying it to um you know a bigger folk festival that happens a little bit north of here every year um cuz we know we know uh, I say we but it's it's really more my brother but um they you know they know um several bands that that like come up through you know from Nashville come up through Milwaukee and maybe they have other ties to Milwaukee too but um so we were able to put on a pretty big a pretty big thing um there were probably a couple hundred people here throughout over the course of the day um that's amazing and but like yeah like i i think um and and i mean i've I've kind of got a studio working here, but like, because of all the moving going on right now, like everything's in disarray. I haven't really ever gotten settled in since I moved up here last year. So, um, you know, hopefully that's kind of on the table now that we're kind of getting settled into a more permanent living situation. But, um, but yeah, like, I think that's been something that's been super important. Um, with, with this is having that, Um, that outlet where, where music is not tied to partying. Yeah. Um, you know, it's tied to experiencing music. Yeah. Um, and, and, um, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure we'll talk about this a little bit more, but that's one of the, that's one of the reasons I love doing what I do with school of rock, um, is that, you know, um, like I'm I am about as far to the introvert side of the scale as you can possibly get. But like um, you know, one of the things that like brings meaning to life is experiencing music with other with other people and you know, getting to experience music with my students or with you know with the, the instructors I work with and stuff. So um yeah, I mean I don't I don't know if that's exactly the line you were trying yeah. to
0: Absolutely. No, I think we're all there,
1: but I think it's an important one to make.
0: Of course. No, thank you. I, I totally agree. So let's, so yeah, let's kind of catch up to, to, to school of rock. So we do Raven charter stuff, you know, we could, we could talk about that forever. I don't feel like we need to, (laughs) um,
1: I mean, maybe we can, maybe for a future one, we can get a couple of us on and talk about that time.
0: (laughs) I think that'd be cool. I think that'd be very cool. Um, So, okay, we, we continue doing our thing and eventually move to Dallas. Like everybody except, you know, everybody leaves Denton. Um, and I, I come to Fort Worth. I drop out of college. Everybody else graduated and got jobs and we start kind of going and, you know, Raven Charter is still there. We're still playing and we're kind of more serious than ever after getting past room 36 productions and management, but everybody's doing different stuff. And so, like, I'm joining Jefferson Colby and playing in cover bands in Fort Worth. You start playing with Troy Cartwright. Was that before we broke up, or was that after?
1: No, it was, it it was before. And I mean, it, I wouldn't say that I hold like a big amount of guilt toward this, but I, but I, but I'm sure that it contributed um, to kind of the the way that we decided to kind of like make make things happen i know i know like kind of the like the main triggering thing was that brandon moved down to houston
2: yeah
1: um but i don't think that was i don't think that was a something in isolation that necessarily led to yeah i mean breakup is probably the best word for it but it, it but it's i you know it, as we'll probably <laughs> talk about like we are you know
0: we're still doing stuff
1: there. There's not a whole lot of hostility and there is certainly a lot of openness to creating with one another in the future. So, um, but, um, but yeah, so, so I, you know, I did restaurant management for a while. I ended up getting bored with that and going to work in mortgage collections, which like, as I said before, I'm about as far to the introvert side of the scale as possible. So you can imagine how that one worked out, but, (laughs) um, I I lost that job and our buddy Glenn who um you know Glenn originally popped up in the story when Daniel and I, and Chris and I were still in high school actually yes. um he went to the same high school as us but graduated before any of us started there <laughs> yeah he um but um but we ran in similar circles we used to run into each other at Starbucks all the time and so we knew Glenn pretty well um and then Glenn you know, you of course played with Glenn, or he played with you in House Fire briefly. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. You know, he was around when we were in Denton quite a quite a bit in some form or another. Yep. We played we played shows with his bands. We we jammed together. We did all kinds of things. But by this point in time, Glenn um, um, Glenn had been teaching music lessons and playing uh, country music, and kind of the main gig that he had at that point was with a songwriter named troy cartwright who at that time was based out of dallas um uh and glenn had kind of put in my a bug in my ear like hey we have a bassist but like you know he a lot of times he can't travel um he's a really really talented guy but like you know i don't think you know like first of all like sometimes stuff comes up where he can't do a gig but we're also not sure if he's going to work out long time for long term for what we're doing and i don't know that glenn had any like real say in you know what the lineup of the band was necessarily but he did you know he did have a line directly to troy's ear and he knew that i used to play bass um and so he had kind of put that bug in my ear like hey If you ever need to make a little bit of extra cash, um, if you ever want to play some bass, like, let me know. And when I lost that job doing mortgage collections, um, that was kind of my moment of... uh, So, around that time, and it may have been several months earlier, but uh, my house got broken into and my bass got stolen. And when we recovered it from the pawn shop. There was just something kind of in my, in my brain that went like, okay, I haven't been playing bass for a long time, but maybe this is my sign that like, okay, like I need, I need to get back to it. Like, like there's a reason I got this bass back and you know, whatever, whatever religious or spiritual, you was know, it the Yamaha, which you, one was it? Dude, that was the Yamaha. Yeah. Um, you know, but, uh, yeah, that was my sign of like, all right, like maybe I should get back to creating. And I, I don't remember specifically what I tried doing. There may, I may have, you know, that may have been when I started fleshing out like the additional parts that eventually, um, became like the base parts for, um, a herd mentality Mm -hmm. there, there, there might be some other original stuff that, you know, still
2: isn't finished
1: that like came out of that i don't remember specifically but um but you know basically when when i lost that job in mortgage i was like all right i got nothing else to lose like i gotta look for an i I gotta look for a new job but i also got time to kill so um you know i i hit glenn up and like i think it was like that week pretty much that i that i talked to Glenn. He, he was like, well, we got to run down to um, I think it was Austin and Corpus Christi and Alex can't go. Um, you want to go? It's like, all right, let's 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 try it. And so I think on like Monday or Tuesday sent me a playlist with like 25 or 30 songs and um, learned them the best I could and went on the road and then I ended up playing for Troy for like two and a half, three years Um and uh yeah that was an that was an important thing i mean i probably played if uh, if i'm like throwing an estimate probably probably like 350 400 shows with troy over that over that period
0: we Um, probably played maybe a hundred in the whole time we were in raven or something like that maybe a little over that but like that's a lot of shows and and not a lot of time what was it like man being on the road and playing i know you'll play you play big shows like you were playing we, big venues. I did. I mean, I mean,
1: we had, um, you know, and in, initially when I hopped on, Troy was like kind of picking up a little bit of steam locally, um, but had maybe not made a lot of the inroads that that he was going to yet. Um, and so we were we were doing like like within that first couple of months um it might have even been like my third or fourth show with Troy i can't remember for sure but we we played um at wow why am i why am i blanking now what's that theater down in uh in oak cliff oh uh, the kessler the kessler there we go um which what which, which i mean that was a really cool experience but uh but anyway um but that was about as big as it was for the first few months i i was with him i would say like most of it was kind of um you know restaurant bar stuff where people would come specifically to see music but it wasn't necessarily a venue that was like you know we're not talking like Several thousand, or even like 500 plus capacity. We're talking like mm. pretty small rooms, and that w- you know, small rooms are w- have been a part of what he's done throughout. I think, I think there's still some of those shows in there, but um, but we got to, we got, um, I mean, we did some stuff. I should have, I should have written some of this down so that I'm not stumbling over my words. I'm sure I'm doing that a lot no, today, but time, um, uh you know four five thousand six thousand capacity amphitheater kind of stuff um sold out even in some of those cases you know not not that troy was the headliner but like so. we'd be opening for um i mean this is when william clark green was kind of on his way up which actually the drummer who was in troy's band at the time that i joined is now william clark green's drummer um they're doing they're doing huge stuff now um uh um man i'm i'm like i'm blanking on some of the big ones and i i mean i don't know that i'm necessarily about like trying to name drop too much anyway but
2: sure sure um, but, you know
1: it's... you know we had, we had some really really big experiences even even got to um you know take a sprinter van out to uh, Oregon and Idaho once we flew out to uh, San Diego and Vegas. Um, so, so mo- you know, most of our stuff was kind of Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas kind of stuff. But, um, but I did get to get, you know, really get out there on the road with a band, but yeah. that's a big part of the tex- the Texas country scene is, you know, and I, I think country in general, I don't, I, but I think specifically, Texas country is like kind of big structured this way where you're not necessarily touring for weeks on end, but you'll go do, um, you'll do weekend runs, you know, Thursday, yeah. Friday, Saturday, Sun Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Saturday, Sunday, that kind of thing. Um, um, we did get on the Texas leg of a Sean McConnell tour in the middle of that, which was a pretty big thing for us. That was also a, um, I'd say that was, like, some of my best experiences in that was, you know, getting to see those. Because I, I didn't really know who Sean McConnell was at that time. And he's kind of since become, you know, I kind of view him in that same discussion with, like, the Ben Folds's and the Jason Isbells. Where, like, this is a guy who just, like, he likes to craft good songs. And that's it, you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> Like, he writes great songs. He puts a great band around himself. What more do you um, need?
0: <laughs> what, so what is, because that's something I'm 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 envious. That's something I've always wanted to do to my own personal music experience is like actually go on the road for a little bit. And that's something we did a teeny bit in Raven Charter. We would do those weekend things, you know, Austin, San Antonio, Houston or something. We got to go with nothing more, you know, once we got to go with cold out to Abilene, you know, and do a Denton show or something. But like, to me, that was never like a real tour or something right um what what what's the difference between doing like a 3-day stint with a rock band versus like a red dirt country band like kind of as country is having a resurgence you know like that's i would say during 2014 2015 2016 like rock music was kind of on a downswing yeah. and country's on so- an upswing
1: one one thing I'll definitely say is like and and I mean, I wouldn't I don't think I would have popped on to the gig with Troy if I didn't like appreciation for for what he did. But like from the get go, I was joining that, you know, for income purposes, I think, mm-hmm. you know, like 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 a lot of what was going on there. So like it was all very business business driven in terms of like why yeah. I was there in the first place. Yeah. And, you know, not that we didn't have great hangs. Um, but you know, it was very oriented towards like, is, you know, it, the, my whole time with Troy, like, you know, his goal was like, all right, what's my next step career wise. And our jobs were to support him in that pretty much, you mm-hmm. know, um, with Raven charter, this was our baby, our passion project, and, um, you know, we pretty much never took any personal income out of any Raven Charter stuff. Like, everything that we made money-wise went back into, you know— um. You know maybe making merch so that we could keep that revenue stream but ultimately the end was to be able to record or you know make whatever purchases were needed to kind of like keep the band going slash maybe get us to another level but like um it was much more about just kind of like the self the self-sustaining and like will this allow us to keep doing what we want to do as opposed to um you know are we trying to grow like in a, a business super actively i think that was yeah. that was a big part so like mentality wise um you know those those like those weekend trips that we took with raven charter were still like bro down weekends you know
2: <laughs> for the most part <laughs> yeah. you know, I, from yeah. my
1: perspective anyway you know
2: yeah
1: um and you know we of course i was I was still drinking and during all the ones that I remember of that anyway. But yeah. um so we were partying partying hard in like Stevenville and um <laughs> Abilene and wherever, you know. I, I think Stevenville um, is probably not that the there most, weren't yeah. nights there not that there weren't nights that I didn't party hard with Troy because I didn't, you know I I stopped drinking about halfway through the time that I was playing with Troy, but um Um but generally there was always, you know, even after we got off stage, there was always the, okay, I'm I'm the bassist representing somebody else here. Like, mm. um, you know, I can, I can party and cer- certainly sometimes I did go too far, but like, I think there was always that mentality in the back of my mind of like, you know. I, I gotta, I gotta stay under control to some degree. That makes sense. Um, so,
0: what were the what were the know, crowds but, like? Were the audiences different, or were they essentially the same, just wearing different clothes or something?
1: It, yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't know that I would consider it too much different. I like, we made, we made some great friends, and sometimes, it, sometimes it would be just friends for that night, you know. But I, my experience with the people at those shows is. Almost nothing but like positive and great memories, you know, and of course, being on the road with Glenn, who I did know in a not business standpoint, I mean, we got into shenanigans they was it was you know it was also pretty frequent that you know um you know troy and logan would would go to would go to bed pretty early, and Glenn and I would like stay stay up drinking and playing video games and stuff like that, but um. Um, but yeah, like, I don't know, crowd wise. Yeah. There were a lot of really great people in that scene.
0: It's awesome. So how did, how did you get from Troy to your school of rock gig? And like, what was, what has that been like?
2: So,
1: um, when it, when I reconnected with Glenn and on the country gig and stuff, part of that I think really from the get go was like, all right, I know that playing this gig is going to be decent money, but it's not, it's certainly not like pay all the bills kind of money, you know? Um, and so most, most, you know, in that, in that, mo- most musicians in that kind of position are usually, um, you know, they have multiple revenue streams and a lot of times teaching is a pretty big part of that. Um, and I hadn't really taught necessarily, although like when I initially started college, my plan was to, was to do music education. So like in the back of my mind, anyway, there was the, Oh, I'll probably be a music teacher at some point. Um, even if, even if in my own education, that's not exactly how that plan, how that played out. But, um, so I went and worked at rusty taco in Denton for, you know, nine months, a year, maybe. Um, cause that was an easy thing for me to do. I didn't, um, I didn't start at the one in Denton, but that's where they ended up sending me. <laughs> um, but, um, eventually like that schedule just conflicted too much with what was going on with Troy. And, um, I started kind of working my way into teaching independently. Glenn helped me find a few students. Um, Maybe by that point, Troy had helped me find one or two also. Um, But, um, you know, I wasn't, I've never been a, you know, again, like super, super introvert, not a great business sense. Um, I was never going to be the kind of person who could really like do what Glenn has done and like, like, I mean, he's kind of built a built his own little like mini music education empire. It really has, um, and that's and that's something that you know, um, you know, I'm just not wired to do that necessarily. Um, and uh, you know, I don't I don't know if I remember specifically why I applied at School of Rock or how I reached out. Um, it might have been uh, one of the, one of the drummers who like frequently sat in with us with Troy, what like if Logan couldn't make it to a gig uh at that time worked for a school of rock in Dallas, but I don't think I don't think that's how I got there. I think he found out later that I applied and like kind of put in a good word for me, but um but anyway, um, so I got hooked up there, which like I mean, there are some valid criticisms of the way that School of Rock does things, but like at the end of the day it's you know again going back to like um it really comes down to sharing the experience of music and um you know there are you know it was explained to me pretty much in my interview that like you're going to have students that you um that you know, have ambitions to do really great things and like work, work hard, put in the work, maybe have some natural talent. Mm -hmm. You're also going to have those kids who like, if you can get two minutes in a, in a lesson where you're not talking about Pokemon or something like that, then (laughs) then like you got to take that as a victory. And Mm -hmm. like, um, you know, for, for me, it's always been, um, it's always been real important that like that is that whatever those kids need from School of Rock, I can meet them there and, yeah. and be there for them. And so, you know, I think I think it's become the kind of thing where, you know, kids who maybe wouldn't thrive in like a you know, an athletic program or um you know, like an academic decathlon kind of thing, or, you know, like some of the, some of those other things that maybe are like more typical social outlets for some, for some people, um, this is where they find their tribe, the people that, that actually like, you know, can support each other and, you know, hopefully as, hopefully as teachers, we can, you know, support them in a healthy way for that too. So, you know, that, that's, that's how I got it it became a, apparent to me very quickly that that was the type of organization it was, and I guess more importantly that that's the type of organization I wanted it to be. Yeah. That, I, that, I, that I, you know, because I've had opportunities at various points in here to kind of, um, help direct or create mm-hmm. that culture too. Yeah. So,
0: what's your title?
1: Right now, I'm just a I'm <laughs> just an instructor, or you know, I guess they'd probably call me a show director. Um,
0: so did you, I'm did not, you, were you a director like down here in Dallas?
1: Yeah. <laughs> I, for, for, for the Dallas school, I was the music director. Um, not for the whole time I was there, but, uh, I think they moved me up maybe. I don't know. I had been there for, for about a year and a half, maybe to some, some, somewhere in there. I mean, that's pretty much like that transition is, um, uh you know, I I would say kind of like getting busy with Troy contributed to like the um you know, was maybe one of the things that that helped kind of send Raven Charter stuff further down the line toward like, okay, we're we need to kind of go our separate ways and figure out how to do things. Cause I was getting busy. I think I only missed like one or two shows, but I was definitely missing a lot of rehearsals. Yeah. Um and um and then kind of same thing with Troy like at a certain point like he started shifting his stuff towards Nashville um and maybe you know still doing a lot of performance but like kind of i mean he's always even from before i started working with him kind of been headed toward headed in the direction of like being a Nashville songwriter um and he's doing great with that now he has a t- a podcast about that scene uh, he kicked off earlier this year. That's doing really well, but, um, but, you know, like he started shifting to Nashville. I started picking up more students and like, they had kind of floated the idea of music director to me, but, you know, we, we both, both parties kind of agreed that that wasn't going to work until I wasn't kicking every weekend. So, um, so once that kind of materialized, that's that's when i moved into that position and i was i I was at the school of rock in dallas for a total of um like a little over six years and most of that is music director wow
0: i didn't realize it had been that long i mean that makes sense now that i'm thinking about it but damn (laughs) that's cool man i mean that's that's a you know that's something to be proud of man that's amazing that 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 you've been able to to get yourself in this position to kind of do what you were talking about earlier like actually have a impact on creating the spaces and creating the relationships with young people to like enjoy enjoy music and that's something that like i've i'm trying to do with my own after school guitar club oh my mic's falling um and like and to be honest like i have kind of, i kind of wanted to pick your brain about like what i don't know what works and what doesn't work in regards to certain like I I have the same thought process where it's like, I just need to be here for, for these young people, like however they need that. Some of these actually want to become performers and like take the instrument as far as they can or take music as far as they can. Some of them just want a place to hang out and people to hang out with. And it's not so much about learning anything, but just being around, being around the music and being around people who like playing music and those then becoming their friends or whatever. But like, I don't have a music school. I just have my classroom and I have my drum kit in my classroom. I have like seven guitar amps in my classroom and a couple of bass amps in the classroom. Kids are doing karaoke now on my mixer. I have like a PA system in there too. And so it's become a whole thing, but it's chaos. (laughs) Like every Tuesday and Thursday after school and every lunch, all of them are going on at the same time. Someone's on the drum kit. Someone's on the keyboards. Four kids are on guitars. Two girls are trying to sing karaoke. And it's like, I don't have multiple spaces to section everybody up in and trying to like, I'm trying to start bands this year, which is what you guys do, right? You guys would start, you would do showcases and you would put groups of people together and say, would they pick their own songs? Or would you guys say you guys play these songs or like, how does that, because that's what I'm trying to do this year. And it's like really hard.
1: (laughs) Uh, The way, the way I run shows, um, I, I pick the songs. I, I cast the roles. That's the way it's,
0: I should just do that. <laughs> um, you
1: know, that's the way our program works. Okay. Um, um, and I mean, different schools, different directors will maybe have their own take on that model, but that's kind of, um, you know, I, I think in, in some ways when I moved up here, um, And I took a hard stance on that and was not willing to be super flexible on that. There, some of the kids were a little caught off guard, but, you know, I, I also think I'm starting to kind of, I feel like I'm starting to earn some street cred there that like, (laughs) okay, you know, like I'm not a perfect human being by any means, but you know, I kind of know what I'm doing. And as I get to know these kids better, I'm able to kind of, Decide which songs are going to work best for them yeah. and what roles to put
0: them in. So, are you having any totally out of left field here? Are you having any La- Lave songs that they're wanting to learn? Lave. So there's a new Adam Neely video. I know you watch Adam Neely sometimes. Check out his video. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, no, I have not had that question yet. I, uh, and I,
1: I, I am not. Uh, I was not even familiar with that name until that video came out. <laughs> That it was it. Was kind of like so.
0: serendipitous for me because that's all uh, mostly girls in my room. But like, I've probably got a dozen female students who are singing her songs or trying to learn her songs. And I'm like, when at the fir- at the beginning, I didn't know who she was either. And I'm like, wait, you're trying to learn a bossa nova song? Like, wait, what? Like, I was <laughs> I was like so confused. Um, so that to me that's interesting, you know, as far as like styles that the young people are are interested in, uh, seeing seeing a. a you know, jazz or mid-sensory pop, as as Adam was putting it, um, come come about is very interesting to me. Um, so I don't I don't have to say about that, but I just that's that's something that I've seen.
1: Yeah, no, no, I haven't I haven't seen too much of that. I mean, the the Dallas crew, there were definitely a lot of kids who were into like polyphia and kind of mathy stuff, but. Um I haven't seen
0: I'm seeing a lot of kids still into system of a down, Marilyn Manson. Yep. yep. Def, yeah. deftones
1: Definitely. Um and Green Day, dude. Yeah. Like Green Day seems to have never like left the zeitgeist for
0: this age group, I feel like. And Blink too. You you mentioned them earlier, like saying I'm yeah. still teaching Blink songs. Yeah. So that's that's interesting. I don't know. So, okay, let's try, I guess, wrap, wrap this up. We've got this, this story of the musical experience for you. And now you're kind of, you've made it around the wheel and now you're introducing that story to other people or you're helping them along on their own journey. Um, Looking back, like, what do you think about this? And like, what wisdom would you impart on, you know, people about to do the same thing?
1: Um, I'm getting that radio interference. I, I did hear I'm it sorry. that
0: time. That's okay.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know where that's coming from. I mean, I know it's coming from me, but I must have a bad cable in this setup or something. Um, and it's... <sighs> I mean, I, I know I've kind of like railed a little bit about about like mental health, substance abuse focus, but that's been like the constant struggles in, in my life. Not so much substance abuse. Once I like once alcohol was gone, I'm fortunate enough that like, um you know, what led me to stop drinking has kind of, you know that was enough to keep me going really early on and to, and then to be able to recognize like how much better life has been for me without it. But, you know, focus has been a constant issue throughout my life. And, um, you know, I I guess I would, as far as like wisdom coming from that goes, like, I don't know. That's, um,
0: Call it whatever you want. It doesn't have to be wisdom. It be like, something.
1: Like I think conventional wisdom would would say like stick with something and 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 try to get good at that. But like I feel like my experience has been every everything I've done musically has added value to every other thing I've done musically. Um, Wow, I can't believe I'm this is the first time in this that I'm bringing Victor Wooten up, but like um you know, one of the things that he said and I'm like I'm not even going to try to do a verbatim quote, but so this is definitely paraphrasing, but you know, some something that something that he talks about a lot that has always resonated with me, especially since I'm, you know, I've been in the music education sector for for a while now is you know he talks about having started out so young and his brothers included him even what you know his older brothers included him he was in the room like even as a a beginner musician the more experienced musicians included him and um you know he's he compares it to speaking a language a lot and you know when you're learning to speak english or whatever language um Yes, obviously there's like an educational part of it, but like, um, you know, an adult isn't generally going to like, say, I'm not speaking to, uh, whatever, a four or five year old until you get to such and such a language level. No, like (laughs) you learn, you learn the language by speaking it by doing and my, you know, I, I feel like I've always seen others get better, and I myself have gotten better by working with other creative people, other musicians at whatever level. I think I've gotten just as good working with seven and eight year olds. I think I've gotten just as much out of working with like seven and eight year olds as I have working with you guys. You know, <laughs> you know, with like really advanced musicians. Um, I mean, that's not a, that's not a dig on advanced musicians. It's not necessarily trying to say, you know, that, you know, begin, beginner guitarists are any more than a beginner guitarist, but like, we all have something to offer one another. And, and musical gatekeeping is, has become one of my biggest, like, um, I don't know if pet peeves is the right phrase, but like, like, like one of the things that I really try to weed out in, you know, in the parts of the program that i have control over um
0: let's get it fuck the gatekeepers (laughs) yeah make your own gate yep build your own shit nah dude i think that's beautiful and i couldn't agree more with you on that um we didn't really get to talk about brain in a jar so i i i I didn't know if you'd want to but before we wrap up like
1: yeah well i mean you know Focus issues are being what they are. (laughs) I don't know if I know what brain in a jar is, but um, but that's kind of the point. That's kind of the point of it, too, though, is is, you know, I had some ideas hanging over that maybe were originally supposed to be Raven Charter ideas or maybe some things that I've written since or started working on since. Um, and the ambition has been to put that together as a project. At this point, it's just, two, it's just two songs, one original and then a cover of Three of a Perfect Pair by King Crimson. Um, and I think, you know, the... I don't know that there's any one particular topic that it's necessarily supposed to explore, as much as kind of an acknowledgement of, like, this is a snapshot of my messy brain. <laughs> um, and that, you know... <laughs> um which is certainly i mean the the name itself is definitely a reference to mother brain from from uh from metroid or the metroid series which yeah. um if we're talking about musical influences or life influences that's another big one is is um you know um i mean i'm not like i'm not a huge video game guy but there are certain like landmark things that have always kind of like stuck with me and um you know conceptually i think metroid and particularly super metroid and like the stuff that's come since then um are like conceptually compatible with a lot of the stuff i've talked about with with um you know a gameplay that conveys like a emotion um Mm -hmm. um game gameplay that maybe like has a narrative, but that's not pulled strictly through, like, the direct gameplay. Mm. Um, I think that's one of the reasons Super Metroid has stuck around so long as a classic. I mean, if if you're not much of a gamer, like, that's considered one of... It came out in 94 on Super Nintendo, and it's still to this day considered, like, one of the best video games ever created, and I wholeheartedly agree. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's things that happen in that that are you know, they, they got the mood completely correct. And they tell a story without like, other than the prologue at the beginning, they don't have to tell the story at all. They show
0: you everything. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. Absolutely. And like, I can relate mess, a messy snapshot of our brain. That's exactly how I feel about temporal distortions too. It's, it's hard to, it's just, it is what it is. So I'm looking forward to seeing what comes next with brain in a jar. I'm looking forward to maybe working on some stuff down the road whatever. Yeah, I uh,
1: hope so. And and, I mean, I, you know, I've made all kinds of excuses over the past several years for why I'm not more productive, maybe more to myself than to anyone else. But, um, you know, I, one of the things that, you know, with moving my mom into memory care that like, I'm really kind of trying to transition towards is like, um, you know, make making those decisions for my well-being and health that will hopefully allow the creative bandwidth to kind of increase and you know yeah. getting out there to walk or run with the dog you know continuing to get the spaces set up you, you know getting rid of a lot of the excess stuff um you know either mental or physical clutter that i don't need and um you know make space so that i can be creative so
0: absolutely well, that's awesome, man. I want to say thank you for taking the time to do this. Yeah, and- yeah.
1: Thank, thanks for putting up with my scattered
0: brain yeah, today. It and, was beautiful. I think uh, it was a great conversation. And like, thank you for being so open and honest. Like that, it requires courage to be that vulnerable. And so, I, I want to say thank you for doing that.
1: I appreciate you, man. And I mean, I've listened to every episode so far, and
2: yeah, <laughs> it
1: uh, you know, it took me it took me way too long to. uh to get started on it but once Uh, I did I got going and I've listened to
0: all of them there's a lot of great stuff in there so that means a lot to me buddy I um it's one of those things that I haven't like just between me and you and I guess the listener because you're here um I don't do I don't have a set schedule of when I do this I just get around to the conversations of when I get around to them um so you know that's that's kind of why it it is as sporadic as it is but to me it's like the, the important thing is to have a conversation I'd rather do that than have to force content that seems stupid (laughs) to me uh i'd rather just have real talk so thank you for being a part of this buddy thank you for being a part of my life my musical life and uh my my just life in general i love you very much sir um and i hope to see you soon i don't know when we're gonna see each other next but i hope it's soon
1: yeah i don't know i don't know i mean i don't i don't have anything planned i can't imagine i'll probably get down there before the end of the year or anything but I, i uh um I I miss it dearly, so I can't
0: imagine I'll stay along stay away for too long. Well, oh, hey, buddy. Well, hope you have a good weekend. Beyonce, thank you so much, guys, for sticking around to the end of the podcast. I hope you found that as enriching and as beneficial as I did. I felt like for me, it was really good to hear him say a lot of those things, like as an artist and as a human being. So, I hope I hope you did too. So, without further ado, here at the end of the podcast, you're going to hear "Brain in a Jar," Eric's solo project, and the song "A Herd Mentality," which he's been, which was cooking in Eric's head for a long time. Uh, and after that is the Raven Charter. The song is called "We Will, We Know You Will." Have a great day.